Hi, my name is Brandon Crisman. I was raised in a church by God-fearing parents who centered our lives around Christ. At the age of five, I said a prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. I believed that Jesus was real and that it was the right thing to do, but I didn't know what it meant to surrender my life to Jesus. It wasn't until my early 20s when I realized that there was truly something missing. You see, I had walked down a path that had led me to some serious problems with addictions to drugs and alcohol. My life had become revolved around my friends and partying, and I didn't want to give it up. I realized that I was still in need of a Savior, and the Lord began to give me a desire to seek Him out. Throughout the course of a year, the Lord continually brought me to my knees, but I was still holding on to my sins or my idols in my life, not wanting to let go. Then one night, I went to a revival at my parents' church, and the Lord changed my life forever. That night, as I was holding back tears, afraid to let others see me cry, the Lord broke me down. It was the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. I could physically feel him tugging on my heart. That night, the Lord changed my life and made me new. I had a passion and desire for God's word and direction in my life. And this time, there were some people in my life that God had clearly shown me that I needed to leave behind. But I didn't listen and allowed myself to be yoked with unbelievers once again. This led to a slow fade away from Christ until I had become as lukewarm of a Christian as a person could be. Through this time, I struggled occasionally with my addictions from the past, but I felt that I was managing them well. Then I met my wonderful wife. At this point, I was very distant from the Lord, but talked a good game, so I would see the confusion in Cassidy's face at times when my actions completely opposed the things I claimed to believe. Over the course of our marriage, I continued to stray from the Lord and eventually began to turn back to my addictions as an attempt to escape the numbness in my life without Christ at the center. Unfortunately, I was very good at hiding my addictions, and my wife was completely in the dark. I lied, cheated, and stole to and from the people I love most in this world to fill the hole in my life that I had created by turning away from God. For a couple years, I lived like this and hurt everyone around me, especially my wife and kids. By the grace of God, I began to get lazy in my deceit, and eventually my wife found out what was going on. This destroyed her. I could see that the truth of my actions rocked her to her core, and she had to question everything that we'd ever had. I remember my dad coming to confront me in love, and the Lord completely broke me. There was no more hiding from the reckoning that I had been running from for so long. I remember getting on my knees that night and telling the Lord that I didn't just want to live a drug-free life. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted him to completely take over. That night, the Lord graciously took my addictions from me, and by his grace, they're still gone today, almost two years later. He forgave me in that instant and restored me to himself. But the consequences of my sin would bring on some of the toughest times in my life, and especially in my marriage. Over the next few months, the tension in our house was great and noticeable, most of all to our kids. Though the Lord had been so merciful to me and had redeemed me in an instant, but it was much different for my wife. The pain of my deceit hit her in waves over the next few months as new things came to light, and she was presented with some very difficult thoughts and questions in her mind. I believe in this time she struggled with the fear that I could never fully be trusted again. How could she know for sure that I wouldn't fall back into my addictions next month or five years from now? In this time, I believe the Lord forced us to only be able to rely on him, and he showed my wife that she could never put her trust in me, that I would always let her down one way or another, but that he would never fail her and never abandon her. 
Though these were the toughest times in our marriage, I can look back and see that it was right there in our moment of despair that God began to work mightily in our lives and, and put himself first in them. The last two years have been coupled with the most trying and rewarding times in our lives. Two years ago, I couldn't have even imagined the joy and peace that would fill our lives. The same woman that I used to think was given to me by mistake from the Lord has become my best friend and confidant as we try to pursue Christ together the best way that we know how. We aren't perfect, but we are in a place of blessing so sweet that I wouldn't have been able to think it would come true two years ago, and it was all through the providence of God. I want to thank Brandon for sharing his story with us this morning. He's going to be back in the 11 o'clock service to share that testimony there. Isn't that good? God is so good. Um, If you have your Bibles, guys, I'm in John chapter 4. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. We're continuing our new series called This Is My Story, and it's encounters with Jesus throughout the gospel of John. And we learned in week one, we we figured out why John wrote this gospel, and you don't find it until you get the end to get to the end of the book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so he said the right way to attack the book of John, to interpret the book of John, is to see that everything John has included is a witness account. It's a testimony of the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And so Um, Our hope is, is, as we walk through the Gospel of John, to really focus on some of the stuff that's unique to John, especially these encounters that Jesus has with people, and many of them we don't find in any of the other Gospels. And our hope is that by studying these people that Jesus comes into contact, by, by hearing their stories, we might learn from their story as we continue to kind of figure out what our story is, and that we might eventually, like they do, like, like John does for us, we might eventually grow comfortable beginning to share our story of what God has done for us, okay? Join me in a word of prayer if you don't mind. Father, thank you for loving us. We love you. We're so privileged to be able to worship you, to be able to study your word, um, to be able to participate in your table, and we just give thanks. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you right now to come and take your place as our teacher and our guide. You're the teacher of this church. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to the word of God, that we might see it maybe for the first time in its truth. Uh, Convict us of sin, reveal to us righteousness, show us who we should be as you exalt Jesus in our midst. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, guys, last week we met a a man named Nicodemus, right? A, A good man. Uh, He was a man that was uh, very religious. He had great religious knowledge, but he didn't just have knowledge. He put that knowledge into practice. Nicodemus spent his life literally trying to live out the Word of God. And he literally trying to put the Word of God into practice. And as we studied his encounter with Jesus, we learned that our religious knowledge and our moral goodness wasn't enough to get us into the kingdom of God. Just think on that for a second. This, this guy knew more scripture than most of us in this room. He, he was probably morally a better person than any of us in this room as he, he literally tried to live out the word of God, specifically the, the Old Testament, right? And, uh, and this was just a good guy. And, and, and when he comes into contact with Jesus, we, we find out immediately he's not good enough. He doesn't know enough. Jesus says to him, Nick, listen, you've got to be born again. So his problem wasn't that he needed a little help 
Uh, his problem was that he was dead, according to the scripture, right? And he needed new life. He needed to be born of the Spirit. So that's where we were last week. Now, from that, John immediately shifts gears to a new character, right? And it's kind of interesting. I believe he does it on purpose. And so we, we go from, from meeting Nicodemus, this guy of, of, of high uh, religious knowledge, high moral character, and we then come into contact with our character this morning, we know her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. So I'm in John chapter 4. Let's read this together, starting in verse 1. And the Word of God says this. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. Now, he traveled through Samaria, uh, or it says he had to travel through Samaria, which is interesting. Uh, you didn't have to travel through Samaria. Most Jews didn't travel through Samaria. They, they really deemed the Samaritans as untouchable. They thought you'd be defiled if you went through Samaria. So they only did that if they had to. People, why did Jesus have to? I believe he had to because this is the mission of God, right? It, it wasn't I had to because I, it was getting dark and I needed to get there quickly. I had to because this is, this is God's divine purpose is to, to reach these people. I think you'll see that in a second. So he had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, if you ever wondered if Jesus was really a man, he is tired. He is worn out, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, you have to remember that when the kingdom was divided and, and the area that Samaria is in eventually fell, uh, that it was filled with, with people from a different land. Okay, It was inhabited by people that were not Jewish people. Now, there was a remnant of Jews that remained there, and that remnant then intermarried with the people that were from a, a distant land. So the Jews saw these people living in this, in this area as, as half-breeds. That's what they would call them, right? Terrible. They saw them as second-class Jews. And so this woman is shocked that Jesus would have anything to do with her, much less the fact that in this society, not only would you not talk to a Samaritan, you definitely would not talk to a Samaritan woman if you were a Jewish male. So you can see the shock on, uh, well, not on her face, but you can hear it in her voice. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is, uh, who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Now, interesting that this woman kind of has the same uh, approach that Nicodemus does when Jesus says things like, Nicodemus, you've got to be born of the Spirit of God. Well, how would I? Wait, I have to enter my... They take it literally. I'm supposed to enter my mother's womb again. How could I be born again? This woman, Jesus said, I could give you living water. Well, well how, how could you be greater than Jacob who dug this well and you don't even have a bucket? You see, this, this misunderstanding of the gift of God that's standing before her, okay? You, you don't see who's standing before you, right? Jesus said in verse 13, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but Whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give them will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. 
Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go and call your husband, he told her, and, and come back here. Now, she's kind of trying to change the subject on Jesus. So he, he kind of calls her to the carpet a, bit, a little bit lovingly. He says, go, well, just go call your husband and let's talk this out. Verse 15, sir, the woman said to him, uh, or uh, verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. Well, you've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you are now have or are with is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our our fathers, again, trying to change the subject, our fathers, let's not talk about me, let's talk about you. Ever been there? (laughs) Just change the subject, okay? She says, sir... I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. who's called the Christ. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Now this is remarkable what happens here because... This doesn't really happen. Jesus doesn't really reveal this to people. But get this next line. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Let's read on a little bit more. Verse 27. Just then the disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Uh, Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said it to one another. Could someone have brought him something to eat? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told, this is where we know this is why he came. This is why he came to this region, why he came to Samaria. Because I'm doing the will of God. Jesus told him, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields. He's in Samaria. He's looking at Samaritan people because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor labor. Get this verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. Hmm. Now, if she didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, how would they have believed? Okay. There's some people that, that read this passage and they don't think this woman got saved. What are you, what are you, what are, you are we reading different texts? So the people believe because of what she believed. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. Now that's the story of the woman of the well. That's her story. A nameless Samaritan woman that uh, encounters Jesus at Jacob's well in the middle of the day 
And Jesus tells her all kinds of things about herself that he shouldn't have known. And she goes and tells everybody about him. It's kind of the story. So what can we learn from her story that that might impact our own? I've got three things for you this morning quickly, and uh, I will be be brief to the best of my ability. But here we go. Three things. The first thing I think we learn from the story of of the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman is this. Our lack of, ready? Our lack of religious knowledge or moral behavior is not enough to keep us out of the kingdom of God. Our lack of religious knowledge, our lack of moral goodness, right? That's not enough to keep us out of the kingdom of God. Please don't miss this. The the Apostle John knew what he was doing when he wrote this uh, account. And he knew what he was doing, placing the account of Nicodemus immediately following is the account of the Samaritan woman. He, he did it on purpose. He, he does it on purpose to, to, to prove a point, right? At first we meet Nicodemus. He's this man of high moral character. He's this man of high religious knowledge. Uh, Timothy Keller would call him a, an insider, right? So, so as John writes this to, to Jewish people saying, hey, I hope you believe. He's also writing it to non-Jews, but, 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 but you know, he, he's Jewish. He's like, hey, I'm writing this so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so first he presents him with a, an insider, like, here is a Jew of Jews, he knows the Torah, he, he lives it out. Like, this is a good dude, right? And, and this good dude has an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says to the good dude, you ain't good enough. Right? That's, that's, that's step one, right? So, so that's the, the first story. Then immediately, we meet this woman. And, and she's kind of the opposite of Nicodemus, right? So Nicodemus, uh, great religious knowledge. He's, he's studied the scripture since he was a boy. He's living it out. He's got high moral character. And then we meet the woman. And what does Jesus say to the woman? You Samaritans don't even know who you're worshiping. That's what he says. You lack religious knowledge. You guys built your own temple up on this hill. They they only studied the the Pentateuch. They only believed in in the first five books of the Bible. So they didn't even study the Psalms or the prophets. And Jesus is like, lady, like, like, listen, I know you believe in God, but you haven't even read the majority of the book. Right? You you have, have, have tried to assemble the fort without reading the instructions. And it's all wackadoo. It's all over the place. So you just don't know who I am. You don't know who it is that's speaking to you, right? So, so man, great religious knowledge. Woman, no really religious knowledge at all. Then you've got the man, great high character. And what do we have in her? And Jesus looks at her and says, go get your husband. She's like, well, there might be a problem there. Just, <laughs> which one do you want me to go get? And Jesus is like, you're right. You don't have a husband because you're shacking up with a dude now. And you've had five husbands already. Now, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't being mean because he didn't say, you've had five husbands, you're a sinner of all sinners, don't give me water. In fact, he, he, he's, this is an invitation. He's saying, listen, I know you've had five husbands, and I know that you're living with a man that's not your husband. Like, I get that, but hear me. I've got water for you to drink. Not just me drinking your, I've got water for you to drink. See, I... The moment that Jesus has that encounter with Nicodemus, the, in, the, the Jews, like, immediately, like, John writes these words, and Jewish people are like, oh, dang. Right? Because what he says to the Jews is, I know you're good. I know you think you're up here, but you're not good enough to get into heaven. You need to be born again. And then the news gets worse for the Jews. <laughs> it's going to get worse. 
So to, to these Jewish people that, that think they're above everybody else, right, then he says, oh, oh, not, a, I mean, it's like pouring alcohol on an open wound. You ever do that? Oh, alcohol, clean that. Oh, it just starts to burn. So here's the Jews. So I'm not good enough for God? And he said, oh, not only are you not good enough for God, but those people that you think are too bad for God, those people that you look down upon, those people that you treat as second-class citizens, those people that you have great contempt for, guess what? They're not as bad as you think. In fact, you guys are on the same level. See, because what Jesus offers to the woman at the well is the same thing that he offers to Nicodemus. They're on the, on, the, on the same level. He says, both of you need eternal life. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you. That's, that's freeing to me. And I just think there's somebody here this morning that needs to hear that. I just believe that. And, and, and here's why. Because, guys, sometimes we fail so bad that we just start to feel like failures. But, but, but that's not how God defines us, right? So we fail so bad, we start to feel like failures. We, it gets so bad, we, we, we just start to honestly feel like we're too, we're too bad for God. I like to say too dirty for God. And I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I know some of you here this morning, that's how you feel. Maybe you come to church, but you're still at a distance. You're kind of keeping God at a distance because you honestly feel too dirty for God. And here's what I want to say to you. This is what this, this story teaches us, right? That's impossible. When you get to that, and by the way, I've, I've been there. I've, I've had those moments where I just felt, man, I am too dirty for God. And I want to tell you why it's impossible to be too dirty for God. Ready? Because the story of God is, is, is one that you have to read from beginning to end. And when you read the story of God from beginning to end, what you learn is this God that we worship is a God that makes life out of dirt. So if you are feeling dirty, I don't know a better place to go. Because our God, all the way back in the book of Genesis, showed us in the beginning, he takes dirt and brings it to life. And so if you're here this morning and you've felt that way, maybe you've felt like this woman, I've got a reputation, man. I've messed up. I've blown it. I've fallen on my face. I cannot tell you a better place to run than into the presence of God himself because he can take your dirt and he can make it life. He can make it new, okay? That's the first lesson we learn from the woman at the well. Second lesson that we learn from the woman at the well is this, ready? Um, Our ways for gaining satisfaction are broken. Our ways for gaining satisfaction are broken. I don't want you to miss this. This story, uh, the woman at the well, uh, therefore also Nicodemus' story because those are tied together, although we, we haven't typically learned them that way. This story is really all about satisfaction, It's all about our way for dealing with the difficulties of life. Sin, simply put, is looking to someone or something else for our salvation, right? The Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And so um, because we were made in the image of God, because we long to have a relationship with God, even though we don't know that's what we're longing for, people tend to try to fill the longing for eternal things in their life in one of two ways. Okay? Uh, one way to, to do this, to search for significance or meaning, is to try to satisfy this hole in our lives um, by turning to relationships or pleasure right? or, or power. We, we look to the next relationship. We look to the next job. We look to the next experience. We look to the next spouse to be the answer, to finally fill the void that we have inside that we don't talk about. Right? I believe that's the story of the Samaritan woman. 
Right? There was the old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, right? She was, she was the one the song was written about. That's what she, she thought if she could find the right man, she'd be significant. She'd be full. And some of you in this room, that's your life. Uh, that's your testimony. You've spent your life turning to other people, to other experiences, thinking that those experiences or that other person will finally bring you the satisfaction that your soul, not just your heart, that your soul craves. I'm just here to tell you, it just doesn't work that way, right? That way of thinking is broken. But the beauty of these two stories being laid side by side is that that's not the only way that's broken. There is a religious way to try to do this same thing. There's a religious way to try to fill the crater that is deep with inside of us, the thing that, that cries out for eternity. And, and the religious way of doing is that is by keeping record of all the good things that we've done. Right? By, 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 by building a cistern and, and trying to fill it with all, well, look at all the good I've done. Like, I, man, I, I walked a, a little old lady across the street the other day, and I, I, I paid for a guy's meal at a restaurant when he prayed with his kids. And, and I, I went to church. Uh, I only missed two Sundays last year, and I had, had walking pneumonia. I was there every other Sunday. I even came one day, and the church was closed because it had flooded. But I was there. God knows I was there. Right? And when I, when I was sick, and, you know, laying in bed thinking I was going to die with walking pneumonia. I, walk that, I watch that live stream on my phone. I'm telling you, I've got a perfect attendance record. And, and giving, let's not even talk about that. I mean, some people, some of those folks, they struggle to give 10%. I'm a, I'm a 20% giver. That's what I, I'm a double tither. Yep, I am. Read my whole Bible. I read it forwards, and then I read it backwards. Yep, backwards order. Sure did. I did. We just kind of keep building up that resume. And that's really the story of Nicodemus. And here's what I want you to see when we put these two... Listen, John 3 and 4 are best read together. So when we read them contextually together, what we find out is both of those ways, the religious way uh, to, to search for significance and the fleshly way to search for significance are broken, right? Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says to the Jews long before this encounter ever happens. I've got it on the screen. Uh, Jeremiah 2, um, 13 through 14. He says, For my people have committed a double evil. Okay, your translation may say they've committed two sins. Uh, One, they have abandoned me, uh, and who are you, God? Ready? The fountain of living water. Does that sound familiar? Oh, what what did Jesus say? I've got living water to give to you. Okay, okay. So so God says, listen, you've committed two, two sins, okay, double evil. Number one, you've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And, and then he says, and here's the second thing. This is what you've done. Instead of seeking me, the fountain of living water, God says, you have instead dug cisterns for yourselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay? God's saying, like, listen. So, so there is the way that leads to life. That's me, living water. And then there's the way that you have chosen. And so instead of living water that will flow through you, in you, and out of you, right? Living water, you have chosen to, to try to build for yourself a system in which you can have control over your destiny. And so you've built a cistern and you've tried to pour all kinds of things into to this system, to this way that you've built for yourself. But listen to what God says. That cistern, that way is broken. A.K.A. it can't hold life. It can't hold living water. It's cracked. So guess what? That means that if we've chosen any other kind of way other than living water, 
our way is broken and it leads to death. I believe that's why Proverbs says this, right? There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. See, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman had their own approach to life. Both had their own way of seeking fulfillment and satisfaction. One was through relationships and pleasure. The other was from religion, through religion and procedure. Both ways led to the same result. Death. Both were broken. Both needed new life. You got it? Okay, last thing we learned from the story of the woman on the well. Last thing I learned this week. I'm just telling you what I learned. Right. You may have gotten all kinds of other stuff as you read this week. God bless you. You can email me those things that make my sermon prep a lot easier. Right. Last lesson. Our witness matters. Our witness matters. going to throw some verses up on the screen. You can find them there in your Bible. It's still open too. But look at verse 28 through 30. It says, The woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people... Right? All the people. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? It says they left the town and they made their way out to Jesus. By the way, uh, Jacob's well was not in the middle of town. There was a well in the middle of town. The Samaritan woman did not go to that well. She went to a well that was outside of town at noon, at a time of day that nobody else would be there. She knew who she was. So did Jesus, right? He still invites her. He still invites her to come and experience this living water. So, so this is what she does once when she has this encounter with Christ. She goes and she tells everybody. Now, now listen. Hey, look at that statement. Did, 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 does she go and tell everybody, this is the one that, that the scripture, she says, could this be the Messiah? But she doesn't go and say, well, yeah, yeah, this is the one. The scripture said that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Remember, she doesn't have all that religious knowledge. She didn't even read the prophets. So all the prophets that talked about the coming of Christ, she doesn't know about all those prophecies. She just goes and shares what? What she knows. Shares what she knows. Look at the result. Here's the next verse. 39, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Okay, I know it seems like I'm beating the same drum over and over and over, but that's because this is the drum that John intends us to beat as we read his gospel. He wrote this gospel to be a witness. He recorded each of these accounts so that they would be a witness to who Jesus is. And the, the drumbeat he's trying to beat, that he's trying to get us all to beat, is this is our job too. Our job is to go and be a witness. I told you, listen, not everybody's supposed to be a Peter or a Paul. Peter, that bold preacher that would preach to thousands. Paul, that guy that would argue with people uh, about the identity of Christ in, in public squares. Right? That may not be uh, who you're called to be. In, in our men's Bible study on Wednesday nights, we're walking through a book called... Uh, 12 Ordinary Men, and this week we talked about Andrew, right? And Andrew, there's not a single sermon recorded that he preached. Uh, in fact, you only see him doing a couple of things. <laughs> you see him, first he meets Jesus, and he goes and he gets his brother named Simon, you know, Peter, and he brings him to Jesus. Next time we meet him, uh, Jesus is, is out in the middle of nowhere, and there's crowds, at least 5,000 men, probably women and children too, probably 10,000 people. And what do we see Andrew doing? He goes and he finds a small boy that has a sack lunch, five barley loaves and a couple of fish, and he brings them to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what you can do with this, but I think you can do something with it, right? He didn't, he didn't preach the gospel to him. He's just, just here. 
Guys, we are called to be witnesses, all right? You don't have to be an evangelist, but you better go tell your story. Listen, God has ordained that you would share your story. He has commanded you to tell your story. He has gifted you to tell your story, and he has empowered you to tell your story. So go do it. Just go tell people. And it doesn't have to be, man, don't be afraid. Man, this is what God has done in my life. We had Brandon talk today. This is, this is how the Lord showed up in my life. And my life was a wreck, right? Like, like I had done the little kid thing when I prayed, and, and that didn't really, wasn't effectual. And I ran around as, as a teen and, and a young man, and I, this is what I, I pursued, the wrong things. Christ got a hold of me, and I think this is a huge part of the testimony. Even after he got a hold of me, I still struggled. Right? Right? Because I was a new man living in the old flesh. And the old flesh kicked my butt for a while. It almost ruined my marriage until God got a hold of me again and finally broke those chains and set me free. And now look what he has done in my marriage as he has healed the heart of my wife. God be the glory. We all have a story to share. We just need to get to it. Okay? So what do we do with this story? I'll give you some application. I'll let you go. Number one. I think we give up on our broken cisterns of storing up satisfaction. Maybe you've done it in religion and good works. Maybe you've done it in seeking out the pleasures of the world, right? And guys, listen, that can be relationships, love, sex, that can be money. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. Oh, now I'm satisfied. I, I, got, I got this, I'm satisfied. I got that, I'm satisfied. Right? It could be, be, man, I've read my Bible. I checked all the boxes today. I went to church. I've done that. I gave. Right? Whatever way you're trying to, to earn uh, God's approval, man, that way is broken. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this. Give up on that broken way right? and just turn to Jesus. Uh, second thing, I, I just gave away my second point, uh, was but believe in Jesus. Right? Jesus is the way. Amen. Our ways are broken, but what does Jesus declare? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, right? So you just have to believe in Jesus. It's really as simple as that. And so if you're here this morning, you're one of those people, I said, you, maybe you feel too dirty for God, right? But, 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 but listen, it's impossible to be too dirty for God because our God is a God that takes dirt and makes it, makes it alive, right? If you're here this morning, you feel that way. Listen, it's not as hard as you think. All you have to do is believe. Whosoever believes will be saved. That's, that's what the Bible declares. Hey, you just believe in Jesus. Hey, we do that through a prayer. Um, you don't have to necessarily pray any magical words, but just something like, Jesus Christ, I am a wreck. My life is a mess. And I'm hearing that you can do something with me in spite of myself. I do believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that um, you're the son of God. Would you just come and bring me to life right now? You pray that simple prayer. God will bless it. And the Bible says if you pray that prayer, right, if you, if you, if you mean that, if you, you sincerely believe, will believe in Jesus. Gotta, that, that's what believe, it's almost like receiving a gift. If you believe in the gift of God, that's what Jesus says to the woman. If you knew the gift of God that's standing before you. Friends, if you knew the gift of God that's standing before you right now, you'd ask him for eternal life. Okay? Jesus, I want eternal life. I believe in you. That's all you have to say. All right? Last thing. Go and be a witness.
Man, go and be a witness. Lots of ways you can do that. You don't have to stand up on this stage, by the way, to do that. Uh, This is a scary place uh, for many, right? Uh, Studies show that the majority of people would rather die than speak in public. And so um, that's true. That's true. That means they'd rather be in the casket than given the eulogy. And, uh, and so if that's you, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, that, that may be you, and I understand that. So this may not be for everybody to, to, to do this in front of this many people. Um, but let me say this. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it with your neighbor or your coworker, right? Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it with the person at the grocery store. We need to be witnesses. As we're going, we need to be witnesses, uh, the Bible says, okay? It's, it's really, really a big deal. Um, all right, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to close us, and uh, we're going to take up our morning offering. We'll be done. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for your word, which is good. It endures forever. I pray that you would do such a work in our hearts this morning that we're changed forever. Please. Lord, if we came in this morning with a broken way, with a broken system of belief, with a broken search for significance where we uh, put all of our worth in experiences or in pleasure, we put all of our worth in religion or practices, I pray this morning that would be laid bare, that those cisterns are cracked and they can't hold life. We need living water to flow up inside of us. And Jesus, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that has never experienced that, that today would be the day of their salvation. Work on their heart, have them cry out to you. And Lord, as they do, save them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, we're gonna ask uh, our Deacons or ushers, uh, I guess it's ushers at this point. Deacons served us, or it's mainly deacons that are our ushers. I'm just going to be honest. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to ask our ushers to come up, and we're going to take up the morning offering. The plates, guys, are, are behind you, which we'll, we'll get in a second. But let me uh, pray for us this morning. Guys, if you're visiting with us, we don't expect you to give, but if you are a member of this church, uh, it's one of those things that it's kind of our covenant here, that if we belong to this church, we're going to pray for our body, we're going to serve our body, we're going to give to our body. That's part of, of the delight of being a member. And, and then we get to be a part of the rewards that come from being faithful members as we uh, talk about building a new church over on 18 acres by the high school and, and all the fruit that's going to come from that. Guys, part of our membership is we give to this church, we're going to receive some of the reward from that, uh, from God, which is awesome. And, uh, and it's not going to be down here necessarily, by the way. Uh, it's just going to be cool. One day we're going to be talking with Jesus. He's going to be like, man, y'all did some good stuff in that place called Elgin. And uh, man, for my name, and, it, and you didn't try to take the glory. You gave it all to me. And that's where we want to be. We want to be these faithful witnesses. That happens by being faithful in the daily things, in the weekly things, all right, in the monthly things. And so we're just going to ask that you would do that, all right? Um, Father, uh, thank you for your, your love and your goodness. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning that you bless this offering. Lord, we had an amazing December as people gave so generously and, and like $20,000 over budget, which is great. Um, January, which is always tough. Uh, we, 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 we were really close to, to budget. Um, but Father, we just know, we recognize this morning that, that you're, you're our provider, Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. And so we just call upon that provision this morning, God. Would you just show up in amazing ways? And would you use everything that is gathered to glorify your name and your kingdom and your cause? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.